Hi, my name is Jason Joe, a medical student from the University of Toronto. And I'm Dr. David Chu, a family doctor in Toronto, Ontario. And you're listening to What's Up Docs, a podcast where we share stories about our lives in medicine. Welcome aboard. All right, Jason, welcome back to our show. Nice to see you again, Dr. Sue. Yeah, fantastic. It's been more than a month since our last recording. I hope you're doing well. I've been doing fantastic, surprisingly. Fantastic. Yeah, that is surprising because you sounded pretty dour in the last episode. I was a little bit worried about you. I did. I think that was the worst of it. And maybe because talking to you and doing our podcast cheered me up. But from there on, it was, uh, you know, mostly uphill. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I do find us doing our recordings something that I quite look forward to. Like in this time where we're stuck at home, literally very little like clinical medicine goes on. Like it's circled in my calendar that we got to do this thing once a month. And it's, I quite look forward to it. Yes, <laughs> me too. I, there'd be days at the end of the week where I'm like, huh, like, is this something I should be talking about on the podcast? So why don't you fill everyone in a little bit on why you're more positive? Like what's been going on with you the last four weeks or so? I think one of the biggest realizations is I am more of an introvert than I had originally expected. I think just time to be away from people has actually mm -hmm. been pretty recharging for me. I've just taken this extra time to like meditate, exercise, go on walks. And that's mm -hmm. really helped me clear my mind. I did a lot of like organizing of my room and <laughs> cleaning up my spaces. And one of the things that I've actually been creating a lot of routines on Alexa. Um, okay. Well, Alexa's that Amazon voice thing, right? Yes, exactly. So I've pretty much offloaded a lot of my mental tasks to Alexa. Let's say I wake up and I'm like feeling groggy. I'm like, oh, I got to start my morning. And then I actually just program like a 30 minute routine. I just tell Alexa to wake me up and get me ready. And, you know, she'll <laughs> turn on the lights and then she'll walk me through step by step. Go make your breakfast. Now use the washroom and thing. You have two minutes left to eat and put your dishes away. Now pack up your bag. And but I just well, so love not having to think about it. And I found that quite like helpful in my life to build some routine and some mm. predictability into a time where you can wake up whenever and do whatever that has been helping me thrive. This sounds like you've programmed like a parent, like you have like this <laughs> digital parent. My children will run up to me like they're small, right? They're like, uh, daddy, like, is it okay if I go poo now? Is it okay? I'm like, yes, it's okay. You don't need approval. Like, <laughs> I like, like with kids, I'm like, okay, you're done your work. Let's go play time to play now. Like mm. I have this, they have this regimented thing where they're waiting for a signal from me. Like that's, that's what you need. Hey, you know what? If you grew up with that all throughout <laughs> elementary school and high school, there've been bells telling you when to have recess and when to go eat lunch. Deep down, Every time that bell rings, it just triggers something automatic within me that just like <laughs> makes me go, you know? And I think that's the whole power of having a routine. Yeah, it's true. I agree with you. Like I didn't I don't have that voice program telling me stuff. I have my wife telling me <laughs> stuff that I need to do. But when the whole coronavirus thing started, it's wacky, right? Like it's completely different from the schedule you had before. So those first few weeks, like you said, there's no routine. You're floundering. 
since we've hit the second month of it, it has gotten a little more stable. Like we kind of know what to expect. The schools have kind of given us a, a template to follow with the schoolwork. Like the office is kind of settled down. So we have a template for that. So it's, it's sort of the same idea. That's great. Instead of you having to remember when your kids got to poo or when they got to eat or when they got to go play, you can just tell Alexa to do it. <laughs> you can be like, Alexa, handle my kids or something. And then, you know, after 30 minutes, she'll ding and tell them to go play. And then... Does, is Alexa programmable? Like, is it always a female woman voice? Or is it possible to have like a Chinese immigrant accent voice to really make it sound like our mothers? I feel like you sh could be able to do it. I haven't been able to. <laughs> okay. So you've been, you're, you're feeling revitalized, but you haven't been back to school. Because last time we chatted, you said that your school had shut itself down, down until July 6th. So you still have another six weeks of this revitalization campaign. I would say I feel pretty revitalized already and mm -hmm. kind of looking forward to starting clerkship again, using some of my new found, I guess, adaptive skills. So getting into the whole school part of it. So you guys are restarting on July 6th. Do you have a good idea of what it's going to be like when you restart? Is it going to be fundamentally different than before or? So we start on July 6th and a week before that, we have a prelude that will get us caught up with everything that's been going on in the past three and a half month, including mm -hmm. maybe a little bit of uh, introduction to, you know, how to handle patients with COVID or online virtual care. And the rest of the stuff isn't really concrete. They're kind of just make up the curriculum as we go. Right. So certain blocks are going to have to be shortened. What we do know for sure is that CARMS is actually moved to February 7th of next year. Okay. Uh, and it used to be when? It used November to be 20th ish. CARMS meaning the deadline for you to f send in your yeah. application for residency, basically. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I think it's quite interesting considering how medical education, at least the timeline, has been quite similar for so many years. And this year it's it's just a little different, right? And I think there is a little bit, there is something a little bit exciting about that. Right. Well, you guys stopped in middle of March, right? So by the time you get to middle of July, it'll be almost a four month stop it, which is not a insignificant amount of time. Like if you think about your total clerkship, it's maybe like closer to a year and a half, you're losing like a significant amount of that. Um, well, I think there's two points to say on that. I think one of it is during this time, people are trying to learn online and kind of mm -hmm. get ready for um, clerkship that's about to resume. The other question is, whether the original clerkship and the timeline associated with it was appropriate. Yeah, so it's whether it's necessary. Um, you know, and you see it with so many different sectors, whether it's, uh, whether it's in the educational field or the medical field, you know, there's been a lot of resistance to like online education or like virtual care. Well, the mindset was people are resistant to change. Right. And right? this just, and this kind of like pushes the change forward. I think this challenges the mindset of the established norm about, um, mm -hmm. and so perhaps in the future, there'll be certain parts of what we do this year during the COVID pandemic that will be here to stay. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've talked a little bit about this in the past. When I went to medical school, my school had an unusually short clerkship compared to everyone else. Do I think that made much of an impact on us going forward in the long run of life? Not really. 
but shortening by four months, maybe six months, probably doesn't do much difference in the grand scheme. But there probably is a number where you get to a certain point where your clerkship is almost zero, <laughs> then yeah, you didn't learn anything. Sure, right? I mean, there's schools but, with three years of medical school, right? But they do a lot of clerkship, they right? Do. Their clerkships, they, clerkship starts pretty early for them. So if anything, I mean, the clerk experience is valuable, but it's also one of these things that having one month more here or one month less there, in the end, it probably evens out because eventually you're working. You go through this long, arduous residency. And at the end of it, it's not so much these individual days or events that you remember, but just this accumulated knowledge. Absolutely. One question I had about the changing of the curriculum, like aside from the technical standpoint where you're losing time and how about like, how does it affect you mentally? Does it make you more nervous as a student? Is the pressure somehow amped up a little bit higher with the greater uncertainty or do you feel like it doesn't really matter that much? I think having this time off, I would say has actually given me more confidence and mm -hmm. given me more, I guess, capacity to learn um, mm -hmm. than had I just did another three or four months of clerkship. I, I think it's given me a refreshed mindset and to approach kind of clerkship with a, with much more intention. Overall, I think because of the pandemic, I'm actually going to be a better clerk. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example of something tangible that you feel that you would be a little bit better at? I think one of the biggest things is just clarity of purpose. So during this time, I've been really thinking about what makes me happy and what I want to do in the future. And I'm quite mm -hmm. set on family medicine now. And so when I go back into clerkship on my surgery rotation, I will be specifically looking for ways to learn in which it will supplement my future career as a family doc. So before, if I kind of paid equal attention to what the instruments were called or what technique the surgeons were using to you know, I would pay more attention to like the post-operative complications or the perioperative period or who to mm. refer to. I mean, that's a very extreme example. You know, like in medicine, there's so many things to learn about. I think this time has mm. just given me a chance to be like, okay, like this is what I want to learn out of my education. And I think that's been quite invaluable. Wait, so you just offered like the big reveal of our entire podcast series, which is what you're going to do with your career after you're done. And we just kind of glossed over it. Wait, I'm pretty sure I like said I always wanted to do primary care. No? Well, you said you were interested in a bunch of different things. And off the air, we've discussed this, but it's never been discussed on the air. Okay, well. <laughs> well, we can talk more about that next time. But I am quite happy to hear that, that you want to do family medicine. I'm a little bit, now this leads me down to more questions of like, how is it that being at home and what is the reflection process that has led you to that? Mm. But we don't have to talk about that tonight, I guess. Well, like, why don't we save okay. those stories? Sure. So you're, you're thinking about this whole thing with the virus from the standpoint that you're going to be a little bit more clear-headed and have a little more knowledge of where you want the direction to go of your career so mm -hmm. you can focus on that stuff more. Mm -hmm. What about the actual living through this virus? You know, like it's a scary experience. And there's like last episode you talked about it, that you feel like you're on the sidelines. You're not getting to do much. Like, have you been able to sort of reconcile that part of it a little bit? I think as time went on, I felt more and more comfortable with my role, like by setting my own intention and in, in kind of what I want to learn and what I want to prepare for. I felt a sense of purpose in kind of doing my daily routine of like learning, of reading books, prepping for when I go back into the clinical setting. Mm -hmm. I think in turn, like that makes me think that 
what I'm doing now will make me a better doctor in the future. In that sense, I, I think I like I am on the sidelines, but I won't be on the sidelines forever. Um, right. So that's for one. And the other thing is, I think the more that I go through this, the more appreciative I am with things I do have. I think it's such a blessing and privilege of like my current situation, at least having a safe home to be in, you know, not having mm-hmm. to worry about like parents getting sick, you know, having mm-hmm. food and shelter and, you know, even access mm-hmm. to high speed internet, right? I think there's only so much in life that one needs to be happy. And I, I think pretty sure I have everything I kind of need to be happy right now. Um, and that's also given me like a sense of calm. So mm-hmm. a lot of things I, I think before that was making me very anxious was like fame, I want fortune, you know, all of those <laughs> things. And then, you know, I, I just felt really content in the past right. like month and a half. So I'm like, I don't need those things to be here <laughs> for my future life. And so I think right. that's taking a lot of pressure off. I think for sure, like you and I, like we're in a pretty privileged situation overall, right? Like you look at the newspaper every day, there's people going through terrible stuff. You know, because I'm in primary care and you're a student kind of on the sidelines right now, we're not wrestling with that stuff every five minutes the way like an emergency room doctor mm-hmm. is or the way like a doctor in New York City is. So on one hand, we I kind of feel like relieved because that stuff is super scary. On the other hand, there is a part of me that's kind of like, I wish I was a little bit more involved, like the way you felt. Sometimes I go out and then people are like, we're going to have a discount for frontline workers. I'm like, I don't even feel like I should go and try to get the discount, right? Like, I don't want to be the guy that gets to go into Costco early. I don't really feel like I'm doing anything to deserve it. Mm. And I look, especially in these stores, like the grocery stores, these, these are frontline people, right? Like the lady that's wiping down the countertop that's a frontline worker. Like they're dealing with thousands of people walking through that store in a day and I'm sitting at home. So for sure, like we're in a pretty privileged situation as a family doctor. I feel like I am helping. Like we're still seeing patients virtually. We're keeping them out of the clinic, you know, reminding them to do social distancing. But it is one of these things about family medicine in particular. All the things you do are just microscopic things. They're not the big flashy things that get you written up in the news. Mm-hmm. But but that's okay. And that is actually a big part of coming to terms with this career choice. Because when you are looking at the other aspects of medicine, the other careers, a lot of them are flashier. And I'm not talking about the cars that they drive or whatever. <laughs> but it's the day-to-day work, right? right? Like you tell someone that someone's leg was severed and I sewed it back together. Everyone's jaws drops because that's awesome. You tell someone that, you know what, I called 10 people on the phone and reminded them to uh, keep their distance and wear a mask. Like, that's not exciting, but it's important. But it's in a way that you have to somehow get an accomplishment from that, like the feeling of accomplishment, because nobody else will give that feeling to you. Right. And I think hearing how like you're contributing, but also feeling so humble about it. um, I think that's really awesome. (laughs) I'm not doing much, to be honest. I'm really happy to hear that you're doing better. I am also doing better. As time passes, like we kind of ride these tidal waves of things, right? right? So when this virus hits, we all get kind of knocked over and it's going to take us a little while to rebound. Mm. Let's change gears a little bit. For the second part of the show, Jason and I talked a little bit about this off the air. We wanted to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that's going around in the news, especially relating to how this virus is considered to be like a Chinese virus. Mm-hmm. Like Jason is ethnically Chinese and I'm ethnically Chinese also. 
we haven't really discussed this too much on the show. I think at some point last year, we attempted to discuss this. Like we recorded an episode about like how our ethnicity or our heritage affected our choice of going into medicine. But the whole thing was incoherent and like kind of terrible. So we almost quit podcasting at that point. But instead, we just dumped that episode and moved on. Right. But it is an important part of our lives. Like we're both Chinese. What's happened now, because this virus has caused like crazy economic destruction, physical harm to people. Like when people say like this is a Chinese virus, like that's like a pejorative term. Mm -hmm. And it's hard as a Chinese Canadian to not feel that. You know, we should talk about this a little bit. It affects us now and it's probably going to affect us a bit as we go into our careers in the future. Yeah, you're right. Like the Chinese episode was very hard to talk about. And I think <laughs> that kind of goes to show how complicated it is in our minds. The identity mm -hmm. of like being Chinese, but also having some Western education, kind of like seeing the Western perspective on China and then seeing China's perspective on the West. I, I think there's... Mm -hmm. You know, as there is conflict, as you can see externally in the news, I think that also comes down to internal conflict. We've lived the good and bad of, of both societies, right? And it's it's very hard to separate yourself and kind of give an opinion from an, from an outside view. And I think even in this case, it's it's a bit tough because beyond, you know, our ethnic identity, there's a lot of cultural differences and there's political things going on over there too, right? And Absolutely. Absolutely. But because we're Chinese Canadian and we kind of follow the model minority paradigm, right. which is that if people make fun of us or criticize us, we walk away. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not worth fighting it. Right. Like, I think that's the traditional upbringing I had is that you can't beat the system. <laughs> so just don't even try to just try to exist within the system. Right. Make some money. Be comfortable. But I feel like this virus is shining the light on this issue again. I'll tell you a little story. I think it was like late February, so the virus was just starting to make the rounds in the news. And I'm at the office. We had a couple incidents where patients came in looking to find a doctor. Like, and these are patients who hadn't been to the office before. They'd been referred to see like the specialist or something. They walk in the front door and see that we had positioned our two front staff who are both Chinese sitting at the front desk with masks on. And they instantly froze and then become very rude, like, uh, is any, are any of you coughing? Like pointing a finger at the staff, like are any of you sick? Which is not even like, it's not the right question to ask because they're not sick. So they said, no, we're not sick, which then leads to the follow-up of, well, why are you wearing these masks if you're not sick? But the whole thing was done in this tone that was very aggressive. And I understand it, right? Because the news had started talking about the virus. They'd been talking about the virus coming from China. And this unsuspecting person shows up at the office and... Suddenly it's a Chinese office. They didn't expect that maybe, right? And suddenly people are wearing masks. So now they're feeling afraid. But then they start asking my staff the question. And my staff, first of all, English isn't their main language. So they're like, no, 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 we're not sick. Well, then why are you wearing the mask? And they have to think on their feet and like answer in English immediately. And the answer doesn't come out properly. Eventually the patient freaked out and left. Right. right? They, just, they just left the office, called us from downstairs and said, sorry, I'm canceling the appointment. I don't need to see the doctor today. Right. Oh, like I actually happened to be there and I kind of overheard this happening and it's happened more than once. I was just like, as a Chinese Canadian, like I usually I put myself as Canadian first. Right. This is my home. When you start to get this kind of attack, it's definitely not personal, but it makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. It makes me feel like we're not in this together. 
You know, I'm less Canadian than the next person. It's just very unsettling. You you push it a few steps further, and then you see politicians on TV like this is a Chinese virus, right? Or or you hear stories of Chinese people being accosted outside on the streets,、mm-hmm. right? Getting pushed by people saying, "You guys brought this virus here, and we're pissed." You know, people need to know what's appropriate to say out loud and what's not appropriate to say out loud to、mm-hmm. start with. And secondly. What's not appropriate? Period. Like this isn't even a political correctness issue, right? I could hear that you've been thinking about it a lot, and it's you know this kind of outward aggression or even microaggression probably has been existing in our life for a very long time, ever since we're growing、mm-hmm. up, right? I really liked how you said you can rationalize that it's not personal, but it kind of feels personal sometimes.、Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know these people, right? right? And our staff don't know them. It's definitely not personal. So the biggest thing. Or like the best thing you can do in this circumstance is just to try to talk to them and try to educate, because、mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of times like discrimination and fear comes from a place of unknown, and、mm-hmm. it's just because they don't really know much about China or Chinese people, or even if you switch it to another case, they don't know much about you know any other race. You just get、mm-hmm. all these stereotypes floating around, and in this circumstance, if you feel comfortable enough, I, I think it's always good to be the better person and try to entertain that and. Give them one little piece, one little thing that maybe they could learn, or something like that. I think my way of dealing with something like this,、uh, I think I just been ignoring it.、Um, mm-hmm. I feel like if I don't address it, it doesn't affect me, or, or or something like that. I think that's just been my dealing mechanism.、Um, overall, I've been okay about it. I had a story too, quite recently, actually. Like about two weeks ago, you know, I was、uh, like in the midst of like organizing my room, and I'm like, oh, I need to go to Dollarama to to obviously get some more organizers, right? I'm like, great, like I organize my life. <laughs> so I go line up at Dollarama, and there's this guy, he's in line, maybe like a couple people、uh, like ahead of me, right? He like turns around, and this is like a youngish kind of man, and you know, a little bit disheveled looking. He sees me, sees that I'm Chinese, and then kind of like mimics like a gun with his hand, and then he like points in my way, makes a like a gun sound, like boosh or or or,、mm. or something like that. And he's like, you know, headshot, and then he's just like, oh yeah, that's like my 65th something, right? And then as other Asian people were going by, like he kept doing the same thing, right? Like every time an Asian person would walk by while we were in line, he would point at them, make a fake gun, and 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 <laughs> pretend to shoot him, right? <laughs> And you know, I thought about it. You know, I kind of like looked at him, and I think don't really know how to to react in those circumstances. I I try not to let it bother me that much. It's not personal. He doesn't really know me, and I think in that circumstance, like I didn't really feel too much in danger, so I didn't really want to confront him and risk escalating this situation. The really funny part towards the end, actually, is when we when he got to the front of the line at Dollarama, he was like, oh. This isn't the line to the liquor store because the liquor store is right next door, <laughs> and, he, and he was like, "What the heck?" And then so then so then he left and went to the liquor store.、Um, I mean, sometimes we can write it off because the guy just clearly confused. Yeah, <laughs> but it's definitely one of these unsettling things, right? Like you, we feel pigeonholed、mm-hmm. because of of our identity, and this virus is definitely not helping it. And although we say it's try not to take it personally. Try not to get upset. Try not to turn it into a confrontation. Sometimes it's hard to do that, right? It's in hindsight, it's always easier to say that. But to bite your tongue when someone's lashing out at you verbally or physically, I just feel like it's 2020. Like this stuff shouldn't be happening. 
before the coronavirus, I kind of had this idea that Canada is the land of like opportunity, like racism. It hadn't really touched my life in a really direct manner, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's these little incidents from time to time, but some of them are positive, right? Like when I was a clerk, I was looking after a lady at St. Michael's Hospital and pulls me aside after a few days. It's like, you know what? I really like Chinese people. Like they work so hard. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you like Chinese people, right? Right. (laughs) I'm glad she's using that way to give me a compliment. But at the same time, those aren't things that we're supposed to say. Yeah. I mean, in those circumstances, (laughs) do you crack them? Because they're clearly (laughs) not being malicious. But but that's like the level of racism that I kind of dealt with growing up. But seeing some of this stuff that's happening now, like there's been a few people that have been assaulted in Toronto Mm -hmm. on the account of their ethnicity. I think there's always been discrimination against different groups of people, like whether that's mm-hmm. towards the Chinese or, or towards Jewish people or towards uh, towards Muslims or refugees recently mm-hmm. in Canada. I, I think right. because somehow Chinese people were, quote unquote, the model minority, like we've been left out of that, you know, discrimination for the most part. I think that was more so due to luck versus a self-fulfilling prophecy of, you know, we're such great people. That's why we don't get discriminated on. But, you know, X, Y, and Z and population, no, they're just lazy or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, it just goes to show that, like, discrimination and prejudice, it it affects everyone. If anything that this has taught me is to, to stand up for minorities more, even though maybe I don't acutely feel or experience the discriminations that they feel, you know, and... It's really nice when people stand up for you. Yeah, I agree. We should do that more. I think that's well put. The other example that you know I wanted to touch on was how the head doctor of Canada, right, Dr. Teresa Tan, she happens to be female and she's Chinese. She has been the one on the forefront in terms of directing the federal government on what to do. So in the last few weeks, she's coming under fire from politicians demanding that, you know, she's not doing a good job, she should resign, which I'm fine with that, right? Like, if you take that kind of job, right, we're in the public eye and you're making political decisions, then you're going to be the lightning rod of positivity and negativity, Mm -hmm. right? Coronavirus is a very complicated thing, and most countries in the world didn't handle it properly. So for her to have made some mistakes or, you know, live with the ramifications of that, I can understand that. But some of these attacks, there was like some politicians coming out and saying, you know, I'm questioning her loyalty is she more loyal to china or to canada like these kind of questions comments are completely uncalled for Mm -hmm. right and we live in a time period where politicians can say anything they want and there's not much ramification for it and whereas you and me and regular people are trying our hardest to be politically correct and let's not offend Mm -hmm. but the leaders in our society are not following those dictates and the end result is that everyone's going to feel like they're going to be able to make these kind of comments. And then it's just one step from saying the comments to actually throwing a punch. I, I think all these things that have happened, just they really just make me feel uncomfortable in Canada in 2020, mm-hmm. right? And I'm a physician and a member of the community. You know, I love Canada. Like, I love ice hockey. Like, I don't, I don't know what else I need to say to say that I'm Canadian. But it bothers me that people will draw these lines Mm -hmm. so quickly. And it bothers me that there's this track record where people can be manipulated, Mm -hmm. right? Like the the politicians can put some stuff in the news and say there's weapons of mass destruction in a country, so let's go fight there, right? They could put it in the news that we don't know what's real or not, right? So it's not too far-fetched for people to blame China for this, and then the thing will escalate, and it goes from people pointing an imaginary gun at us in a line 
to spitting in our face, to throwing a punch into the next thing, mm -hmm. right? I don't want it to go down that road. No, I don't think any of us does. But I think I, us as a society needs to have an honest and open conversation about how to steer us away from that stuff, especially as a physician too, right? Like we're going to be working with people right? and they come in all shapes and sizes. and Right. One of the things I wanted to touch upon was, you know, here we carry a hat of being Chinese and the racism with that. With frontline healthcare workers, um, there's a little bit of discrimination as well, given, you know, the increased exposure. And I, I, I read an um, article recently on the CBC saying that doctor was uh, denied going into TD Bank because apparently their policy, like, you couldn't visit the bank. If you work in a hospital, I, I saw that article yeah. too. Yeah, so I could see it. At the same time, I feel like there is, it just feels hypocritical you know, for people to be like, we support frontline workers every day around like 7.30 p.m. Like I hear people like ring bells and stuff like that. And, you know, on the flip side, like when you need support, let's say you go to your bank or you go go to your grocery store and they're like, hey, sorry, like, you know, we actually don't welcome you. Yeah. I mean, that's a different type of discrimination. One thing to remind ourselves in that situation is that as healthcare workers, we are slightly higher risk than everybody else. Mm -hmm. It's one of these things where like, I feel like sometimes when our society has to come out and make a hard and fast rule, that's when people start to get offended. Like I already know that I'm higher risk than someone who's sitting in their basement the whole day. And I'm going to be extra careful because I know that already. I don't need the company telling me I'm not welcome in their store. But it's tough, right? You flip it around and we're making those same value judgments all the time with other situations. Like mm -hmm. when the virus first hit, my wife and I, we were like, you know what? The children aren't going to go to Sunday school anymore because we go to like a predominantly Chinese church. <laughs> so we're like, you know, what? that's a high risk area. So sometimes I think it's useful for us to think about it from a very scientific viewpoint. Going to that facility is dangerous because those people might have a higher chance of being the, having the virus. That's not a political judgment on them being Chinese. It's not an ethnic judgment on, you know, Chinese people started the virus. It's just a science. Yeah, you're right. I think it brings out a lot of ethical dilemmas because like different people have different risk tolerances, right? And so sometimes mm -hmm. it's it's really hard to force someone to accept a higher risk on your mm -hmm. behalf. And yeah, like sometimes it, I would say it does feel frustrating. At mm -hmm. the same time, I think another perspective, like it does make sense. And the day that that story came out about the bank, I actually had been in the bank. Like I was in the bank that day. At TD? And at TD. Ooh. And I came home and my wife's like, you guys aren't, we're not allowed in TD anymore. Right? I'm like, what? The truth is I was in the bank. I did not want to be there at all. Like I haven't been in a real store in weeks. And suddenly I'm like, oh man, I'm actually in a bank. And, and now there's people around me without masks mm. and they've put up those like plastic shields. Right. And then the person's counting the money and handing it back to me through the slit. And I don't have gloves on. I'm touching the coins and the bills. I'm like, this is a terrible experience. So you know what? If they want to kick me out of there, I don't want to be there anyway. It makes us even. Oh, okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Looking a little bit to wrapping up today, we talked a bit about how we're doing my, I guess, insights in isolation. And this virus kind of made us reflect a bit about our ethnic identity and also our roles as medical professionals. And even though we kind of brought up some of the challenges that we face, I, I think overall the community has been quite supportive, at least from my right. perspective. And I think I'm quite lucky to, to be in this community. There's, I think, more positives out there than negatives. Right. If you only listen to the last second half of the thing, you think that we're being we're pretty upset but i think 
our general take home is that you know what there's actually some things that we've learned about ourselves and our broader community through the coronavirus most of it's been positive you know let's stay together as a community and get through this thing over the next couple months mm-hmm. then we can maybe reconvene in a month's time and we'll chat a little bit more about your interest in primary care and how we got there that's great i think it'll give me some time to think more about it thanks to all the people out there who take the time to listen to our episodes i've noticed that we still get a pretty good turnout for this thing even during coronavirus and for that i'm grateful yeah thanks for listening all right we'll see you in a month